Welcome to First 100K, the show where I interview successful entrepreneurs about how they made their first $100,000. Digging deep to find the tools, tactics, and superpowers you can use to go from A to 100K. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also the owner of two co-working spaces here in Tampa, Florida, where I have the privilege of helping hundreds of entrepreneurs to make their first $100,000. Today, our courageous entrepreneur guest is Dory Clark. And Dory Clark, Dory, I, I'm going to put this out there. I'm just going to get real for a second. You're my first female guest um, online like this with the oh video and everything like that. So congratulations for that, whatever that meant. Uh, um, and Dory Clark is a marketing strategy consultant, professional speaker, frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review. Great read there. Um, she's also recognized as a branding expert by Associated Press, Fortune, uh, Inc. Magazine. She's the author of Entrepreneurial You, um, which has been rated like at the top of the top, right? And then uh, Standout is the other book, uh, which was named the number one leadership book of 2005 by Inc. Magazine. That's a pretty big deal, right? That's that's Thank pretty you. awesome. Yeah, and then one of the top 10 business books of the year by Forbes Magazine. So Dory, you are going to drop some wisdom bombs on Startup Nation today. I'm excited about it. Go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Yeah, absolutely, Joseph. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I uh, I started my business 12 years ago. Uh, so so now now I've kind of got a good groove uh, with it. But uh, but certainly it was a, a bit of a journey beforehand. I had been a journalist and got laid off for being a journalist. I had then gone into working in politics and uh, all of the campaigns that I worked for lost. And uh, then I became a nonprofit executive director. And it was through working at the nonprofit that I came to realize that running a nonprofit is actually very similar to running a small business. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I can do that. And so that, uh, that is what stuck. And so now uh, for the past 12 years, I've, I've run a business that, that has been exciting for me and that it allows me to do a lot of the things that I really care about, like writing and speaking and teaching and executive coaching. And uh, in recent years, I've started exploring doing online courses and masterminds and things like that. So I'm excited to talk with you about all of that. Yeah, you're about to like take it to the next level, man. I have other guests that are all into the masterminds and everything, and they're crushing it. So, well done. Um, Dory, before we get into the content, take a minute and share with us something personal that very few people in your business life know about you. Yeah. So in terms of uh, in terms of something personal about me, um, one of the things that kind of impacts where uh, where I come from or my perspective is that I grew up in this small town in North Carolina and it was, uh, it was not, it was not a fit, shall we say, you know, I mean, this is, this is always the, the nature of parents, right? They pick, they pick the place that they think is awesome. It is going to be awesome for their kids. And then sometimes no, not at all. And so I grew up in a small golf resort in North Carolina, which was the last place that I would have picked to grow up. I'm much more of a kind of city person. I live in New York City now. And so growing up, I just felt like it, it was not my place. And so I really conspired to try to get out of there as fast as I could. And so I actually found a way to to do that, I, I entered college early when I was uh, when I was fourteen and kind of booked it out of there uh, because I was looking for a way to kind of um, find my tribe, as it were. And uh, and so I think that I have been motivated for a long time by that by that uh, 
sense of wanting to be in a place or in a situation where I was able to do a little bit more with my with my life, you know, to, to do something that felt a little bit more meaningful or exciting. Wow. So what I'm hearing you say was you were too big for the town you grew up in. <laughs> well, I was uh, I was always interested in people who were who were really doing something, you know, I mean, there, there weren't a lot of choices back then in terms of role models, because uh, the internet was not a thing. But I would I would watch TV programs, you know, about people in New York or people in Los Angeles or something. And it just, it just seemed like they were, they were uh, kicking it on a different level. You know, they were they were really having an impact and doing exciting things. And I, I knew that I wanted to somehow be part of that. Got that. So is the grass really greener on the other side? You know, I love being an adult. It freaking rocks. <laughs> You're adulting? What? Yeah, I'm not even yeah. there yet. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Cool. So, um, Dory, before we get into everything here, um, you know, our audience loves to know uh, context, right? So, how much revenue approximately did you do with all your business gross revenue over the past 12 months? Um, so, like somewhere in the neighborhood, I, I actually have, I'm, I'm going to get the exact number soon because I'm in the process, God help me, taxes. of uh, getting my taxes ready, <laughs> but it's, uh, somewhere between like eight and 900,000, I think. That's so awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. The, for me, the most important number actually is, is the, the net. net. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. How much yeah. are you going home with, right? That's right. That's, and so for problem? me, the, the, you know, I, I think that's the thing, right? Sometimes people kind of blow up, oh, I have the seven figure business or whatever. And then you discover, well, okay, you have like 30 employees and you you bring home 50K. It's like, I don't know if that is really worth it necessarily to have all of that hullabaloo around you to have the seven figure business and not be able to take home something significant. So the net for me is, uh, is of like, I think it was like 530 or something like that. So, you know, for me, I, I am interested in running a lean business mm. and being able Dude. to protect the margins. I love it. I love it. Your, your head's in the right place and you're right. So many entrepreneurs, they're like, I gross this much because they want to show again, the highlights of their life on social media. Look at me, look at me. I'm doing so well. And meanwhile, they're, they're netting 50 grand, like you said, right? And struggling with all that extra stress, bringing in millions, but netting 50. It's like, yeah. go clean up your expenses. That's where your focus should be when you're, you're at that level. Very cool. So um, Startup Nation, we're speaking with Dory Clark. And if you want to find out more about Dory, go to doryclark.com. That's D-O-R-I-E, clark.com. And I want you to check out her book, Entrepreneurial You. This is her new book. And Dory, you have um, some kind of free assessment there, right? Go ahead and uh, take like 30 seconds. Tell us about that. Yeah, that is true. I have, uh, I have a, a self-assessment that I created. It is the 88 question entrepreneurial use self-assessment and basically what what it is about uh it's it's kind of ties in with the premise of the book entrepreneurial you it is to help you think strategically about ways that you can develop multiple income streams in your own business and so if you're interested in figuring out how to do that how to get more passive income how to multiply uh the income streams in general you can download the the free self-assessment. It kind of walks you through the process about how to think about doing it yourself. Uh, you can get that for free at doryclark.com. It's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com slash entrepreneur. Nice. Awesome. Startup Nation, go grab that assessment right now and assess yourself because if your life's not working, find out why. 
Dory, let's get to it. Why do you think that 90% of entrepreneurs struggle to make their first 100K and just get stopped there? I think that the, the first step, of course, is always the hardest because you are, you're establishing product market fit right? That's, that's the, the first job as an entrepreneur uh, and to, you know, to, to unpack the lingo, which I'm sure that many of your listeners are familiar with, but not necessarily all. Um, step one is figuring out what are you selling to people and who, who is the audience for it, the proper audience, and how, how, do, you, how do those two things intersect? What, what does your audience want, and what are you capable of, of offering to them? And oftentimes, it takes a while to figure that out. I think we need to recognize that most, most often, in fact, our first hypothesis is going to be incorrect and that we need to plan for some pivots. Uh, so for me, for instance, I ultimately you know, started a business, you know, the way I sort of describe it, broadly speaking, is like marketing strategy consulting. But I had a number of pivots early on. Uh, Initially, I actually thought that my business was going to be focused around political consulting. Mm. uh, Because I had, you know, I've been working in politics, I figured, okay, political communications. But it just so happened. Um, there was no way for me to really know this, but it, it just so happened that when I, I went out and launched my business and went to market, I had a lot more luck getting uh, corporate clients and nonprofit clients than I did political clients. And so, you know, I was, I was not a dummy. And so I was like, oh, you want to give me money? I will take your money. <laughs> so, I, so I quickly realized like, oh, I guess maybe I shouldn't call myself a political consultant. I should be a marketing consultant. And then I could have other uh, types of clients. And so that was the first shift. And then a couple of years down the road, you know, so that that was like within a few months, I realized that but a couple of years down the road, I had to kind of shift again, because a lot of the work that I was doing was kind of, you could call it traditional PR consulting. And at the time that I was doing this, which is the mid 2000s, um, that was when the newspaper industry was really beginning its steep decline. And so a lot of these clients were very used to getting lots of coverage in the newspaper, and that is what they wanted. And it was becoming increasingly hard for me to be able to deliver that to them because the size of the newspaper itself was shrinking and the size of the newspaper staff was shrinking. So it just was this huge uphill battle to get the same results for people that they were used to getting five years before. And what I kept discovering is they were not thinking about sociological factors. They were blaming me and basically being like, why aren't you getting us the coverage? And after a while, I'm just like, you know what? I'm not going to be taking flack for stuff that I can't control. That's ridiculous. And so I switched away from it because I'm like, you know, I I don't want my whole life to be having to justify things to people. So Mm -hmm. I shifted to marketing rather than PR and communications. Wow, that's powerful. Um, you know, I, you made me think of uh, just right now, like online marketing or SEO and how much that shifted, right? And it's all those SEO experts, it's not as easy for them to get us, the consumer, the results that they once could. Yes. Because right? it's such a crowded marketplace right now. And you better believe we're going to blame them because we're paying them, right? So I think, you know, Startup Nation, Dory made a, a very good decision at that time in her life saying, okay, this is what's happening. I can't control it. It's outside circumstances, but I can control what I can control, which is me and what I want to do with my life. And frankly, I don't want the rest of my career to be to look like I'm getting yelled at for things outside of my control. That just doesn't make any sense. So she made the shift. That's powerful. Dory, what would you say is your superpower? 
right? It comes up all the time on the show. It's like the one thing that you're just phenomenal at, everything else you delegate. What is your superpower, Dory? Um, well, I will, I'll, g- I'll give you two answers, Joseph. One is what I call, we'll call a process superpower, and the other is kind of a content superpower. Uh, so the process superpower is just that I am very persistent, and I, I, I don't get discouraged easily. And so I will keep at a goal for a really, really long time. And I think that is helpful because sometimes it takes far longer than you want or expect to be able to achieve something. And so I just like whittle it down until it happens. So you're um, relentless, but sometimes can, does that backfire on you? Um, Where maybe I, you should have gave up on something, but you didn't because of that relentlessness. I, I, th- I think certainly there's the potential for something like that, but um, the, the corollary is that you have to think about something in, in, to, use, to use the parlance of the author Peter Sims, in, in little bets, right? Um, if you are going all in, if you're like, oh, I'm going to spend 100% of my energy to do whatever, to land Google as a client or, you know, whatever the thing is, if, if that's kind of a long shot, you don't want to be devoting your entire life to that. Like then, then it's either like an up or a down vote, right? You either succeeded in your life or you failed miserably. Uh, what I think is much better is to take like maybe five or 10% of your time and devote it to that long shot goal. And then that way you're just kind of progressing along and it's not that big of a deal. You know what, if you don't get it, who cares? You've spent, you know, whatever, a few hours a week uh, pursuing it. And it's like a bet that if it pays off, it's great. If it doesn't pay off, then it's not the end of the world. And I I think that's, that's how I think about it. I get that. Right. So you're, you're hedging the little bets as they pan out, as you start to win in these little bets, it also gives you, okay, what's the next bet? What's the next step? Um, do I continue on this path? So you're constantly assessing your, your pivots, right. Um, at that point. That's, that's exactly right. And just to finish up the strand, the, what I'll call the content uh, superpower is that I discovered um, it, probably, I think this is something that I learned in the course of my short-lived career as a journalist, but it has served me well, is that I am pretty good at taking lots of uh, random disparate information and putting it into a cohesive narrative. I can take mm. a lot of a lot of miscellaneous facts and kind of find the the through line that unites them. And that helps me with my own content creation. Uh, it helps me with kind of understanding the messaging of my clients and helping them figure it out, et cetera. So what I just heard you say is that you're a freaking genius because anyone who could take complexity and make it simple is genius, right? <laughs> well, I'll gladly accept your kind compliment. <laughs> <The but. laughs> high five right there. That's fantastic. Uh, describe to us your biggest fail, mistake, or setback that you had early on in your career, maybe your first year in business. Yeah. So I think that when I look back on my um, – on my business, one thing that that kind of stands out for me as a, a learning experience that that I probably could have handled differently is I had a client that I knew from the beginning was going to be a little bit difficult. Uh, in fact, I knew I knew the guy who had the, the client before I did. He was moving on to another thing, and so he kind of bequeathed it to me, as it were. And he kind of warned me. He's like, "These people are high maintenance." And so I, uh, I was working w- with them, go- going in with that knowledge, and they were paying me pretty well. Um, and and so I, I 
put up with it, but then at a certain point, uh, you know, to the point we were talking about earlier where they were just used to getting like lots of coverage and it was just getting harder and harder to do that. Um, we kind of had this, this showdown a little bit where what this client wanted was they wanted me to come to their staff meeting every week. And it was like two, two hours every week. And, you know, it took me like an hour to get to it, an hour back. So it was like a half day that I was spending. And the staff meeting honestly was like completely useless. It was basically just people going around talking about like, here's what I did this week, you know? And I eventually I just said to them, look, like, I don't, I don't think this is really high value. I think that there's, that there's better ways that I could be serving you than coming in to do this. And they kind of put their foot down and they were just like, no, you're our consultant. We want you at the staff meeting. And I, I was just like, okay, all right. You know, and, and they, you know, they sort of had me over a barrel uh, there because I, I wanted slash needed the money from it. And I, we ended the, the, the contract, you know, within, I don't know, three or four months afterwards, but it, it kind of ended on a little bit of a sour note. And I, I realized in retrospect, first of all, I probably shouldn't have taken the client in general because I don't really want to be working with people that are difficult, but also, I mean, that's kind of the, the clue, right? Is do they view you as a consultant or a contractor? A contractor is someone that they can just tell what to do. We're paying you. We tell you what to do. A consultant is somebody that they respect the opinion of enough that they defer to you about what the best use of your time and your abilities on their behalf is. And I, I realized in that, that I was not really getting the appropriate level of respect. And when that is the case, um, you know, you're, you're just, you're not in a good position. Um, you, you never want to set yourself up such that your client doesn't really fully respect you. I get that Dory. And doesn't it diminish you in some way, right? Like your talents, your skill set. So actually what you're bringing to the table gets diminished because of how you're being treated. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, essentially what they were saying is we own your time and we choose to have you sit through this boring meeting. And it, it's like, you know, if, if, if all you think that I can bring to the table is my time and me sitting somewhere, then, you know, that's, that's not even a relationship we should be having. I mean, presumably a, a consultant should bring a lot more than that. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I, I think that was a good learning experience for me. Yeah, that's powerful. So Startup Nation, what I'm hearing from Dari right now, this is great wisdom, is look at your own uh, business career right now. And it's like, how are you being treated by your clients? Um, are there clients that are mistreating you that are uh, holding you over a barrel, as Dari says? Uh, if so, find the clients you want to work with, right? And sometimes, yeah, you got to take the hit on the, the income temporarily, rather take the hit on the income than the hit on like your self-esteem, right? And your confidence, because that literally will get diminished and that will affect all other areas of your business and your life. Would you agree with that, Dory? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, cool. So Dory, what uh, actually first year in business, how many hours did you put in per week? Would you say approximately? That is a good question, Joseph. It's been a while. Um, yeah. But I mean, I was, I was certainly, I was Listen, because we know you're a genius, we know you're a genius, right? So does that mean you only put in like two hours a week? <laughs> I was, uh, I mean, I was definitely working a lot. I, you know, I would say, you know, let's, let's call it 
probably nine to seven during the week and then at least at least one day on the weekends um so i mean i actually i came to work more the longer i was in business because i i was uh i had more opportunities and it became a little bit higher stakes mm -hmm. uh but but yeah, cer certainly I was uh, I was working at least six days a week and uh, extending myself pretty fully. Got it. So Startup Nation, if you're sitting there complaining and whining, why is this so much work? Why is my business not taking off? Just know you're not alone. We all go through that stage, right? So Dory went through it. I went through it. We've gone through it multiple times. As my good friend Larry Wingett says, it's called work for a reason. So stop whining, shut up, and get a life. That's his other book. Um, so what would you say is your number one fear that literally like really messed with your head back then, that first year in business story? Yeah, I was, I mean, I, I was certainly uh, worried about my ability to do client acquisition. Um, I set a little goal for myself when I first launched my business. Um, my, my sort of shorthand for it was, the year, year one goal is don't go bankrupt. Year two goal is make a hundred thousand dollars and, uh, or no, actually that wasn't even right. It was year one, don't go bankrupt. Year two, replicate my salary from my paid job that I had before, which, uh, with, you know, was not a lot. I was working in a nonprofit. So I was making, uh, 45k and then year three my goal was to make a hundred thousand dollars that was like my my big plan and uh and i and i felt like okay i can do it i can do it um and in fact fortunately i did <laughs> i did end up doing it even you know faster than i than i thought i was by by my second year my you know in or my first full year in business, my second year in general doing it, I had gotten up uh, to six figures. So it actually went better than I thought, but I was, I was very nervous. Uh, I thought, I thought it was a very real possibility that like just no one would hire me and, and uh, it would not go well and I'd have to go back looking for a job. Yeah. I like that. So startup nation, that's a cool, simple, doable strategy, right? Step one, step two, step three. So year one, survive. Don't go bankrupt. That's, that's really what you do year one in any business. Um, year two, it's like replicate that income, you know, so that you can do this business that you're working on, do it full time, replicate that, that nine to five job. And then year three, break the hundred thousand dollar mark. And if you set that simple little goal that Dory did, maybe you'll have the same success she did and you'll do it by year two. So fantastic. Well done there. What's the best advice you've ever received in business story? I think that the best advice that I've received actually, which I didn't even fully appreciate the value of at the time. Uh, but it's certainly something that I preach now is the importance of building an email list. Um, it has become even more valuable. Uh, but you know, at, at the time I had been in business for, you know, maybe a year or two and, and a guy that I knew who's an, an older businessman uh, was encouraging me to kind of, you know, get serious and, you know, do an email list, do that more frequently. And so I did. And, you know, I didn't even really do it right for a long time. I mean, I would, I, I it was like very sporadic. It was like, oh, you know, maybe every quarter, if I was lucky, I'd send something out. And, you know, there were kind of the typical, like boring 
constant contact kind of newsletters. Um, so I didn't really understand how to harness it, but I at least had it in my mind, like, oh, you should have an email list. You should send emails sometimes. But it's especially now really important because a lot of people in subsequent years have kind of gotten their head turned by social media and assume that social media will do the heavy lifting of marketing for them. And of course we know that that is not true, that they are constantly shifting their algorithms, that it is uh, building your house on sand. And uh, it, it's only if you have a direct pipeline to the customers, meaning an opt-in email list that you can actually continue to be in touch with them. Wow. That's powerful. You know, I could tell you right now, I do a crappy job with emails. And it's like, I am probably right now exactly where you were back then. So really, like, I know some of my listeners are in the exact same place right now, right? And we're saying, yeah, I've been told 5,200 times do an email list. I'm just not doing it. And, and probably because the why is not big enough. What was the why for you? Like, if you were to speak to me right now or to my audience and say, here's why you need to do it. Get off your butt and do it because of X. What would you say? Well, I can tell you about a good long range uh, motivator. I mean, the, you know, the sort of short term motivator is if you've been building your business on social media, for instance, literally every time Facebook changes their algorithm, you, you are going to get wildly different results and oftentimes suffer. Um, I mean, there was a, there's a headline that I quote in my book, Entrepreneurial You, from Business Insider the first time that Facebook really in a dramatic way changed their algorithms in 2013. And I love the headline. It was like, Facebook just changed its algorithm and it screwed an entire profession. <laughs> and, you know, meaning like digital marketers. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. And of course, they just did it again recently uh, to, you know, sort of combat the Russia trolls, whatever. They're like, mm -hmm. oh, we're going to emphasize your friends and family rather than other outside content. That changed a lot of things. I've noticed certainly uh, a change in engagement and the number of likes that my posts get and things like that. So, I mean, in the short term, you can, you can actually just see all the variability based on things that, that are completely out of your control. But long range, the reason that this is important for instance, um, I am now getting, uh, and again, you know, I'm, I'm doing the taxes now, so I'll learn, I'll learn a little bit more later. Uh, but I'm getting, uh, you know, probably between sixty and eighty thousand dollars a year in income from uh, affiliate marketing, and that is something that you know. And, and for folks who are not familiar with this, this is basically where you use your email list to promote an offer from a trusted partner. And if people buy that, then they will give you a referral commission for it. And that, you know, that's a, a, a huge chunk of, of money. None of it would, have, would be possible if I didn't have an email list with which mm. to market things. Um, but when you build that up over time and you're able to build trust with your audience so that they know, oh, you know, Dory is curating things from interesting people that are going to be relevant to me, then they are more likely to buy that and to view it as, as a win-win. I mean, that's the great thing about affiliate marketing is that if you're choosing wisely people are not like oh i'm i'm you know making this you know i'm doing this big favor by buying something they're like oh wow i you know i hear this a lot thank you for introducing me to so and so's work this is great and it becomes a really nice thing for for everybody involved and so opening up that income stream uh is is something that, that is only possible if you have a good engaged email list Got it. What size of uh, your email list would you say it started to um, really create results for you? I know you're up to like 47,000 plus 
on your email list there. Um, what was the number where it started? Uh, you started to see the results. Yeah. I, I mean, it probably could have been even sooner. I just didn't um, focus on it. But I would say as a good rule of thumb, if you have about 10,000 on your email list that you can, you can begin to, um, to, to really do some good affiliate promotions. Um, however, you know, the caveat, and I, I talk about this a little bit in my book, Entrepreneurial You, um, I interviewed a guy named Jason Van Orden, uh, who's, uh, he used to run a podcast called Internet Business Mastery that was very influential in the early days of um, of podcasting and internet marketing. And he says, and I, and I think this is very true, if you have a very tightly focused niche uh, and you have a thousand subscribers, mm -hmm. you you could for sure be able to make money off of that. Now, you know, you're not going to be able to make money if you have a, a thousand subscribers that are like into, you know, whatever, sports. Like this is like way too broad. You don't know what they would like. But if you have a thousand people that are like, oh, we're we're CPAs that are interested in learning about meditation or something like that. And, and you're able to offer uh, things to them that are, you know, really in that sweet spot, then, you know, that is tight enough that it is highly likely. If, if you can put forward something that would appeal to that person, um, even with a thousand, you know, you're going to have a very high uptake rate because they're like, wow, this was like meant for me. And you can start creating some revenue from that. Startup Nation, I just want to validate what Dory is saying is accurate. Uh, my good friend, uh, Gabe Aloisi, he runs a podcast called Private Club Radio. And his client is private clubs, resorts, right? The owners of them. And he only has 1,000 listeners, subscribers to his show. He's able to monetize that into six figures and plus speaking engagements all across the world from those 1,000 listeners. So exactly what she's saying, very niche, very specific um, they're all having the same conversation in that tribe. So we could do the same. Awesome. Uh, share with us one of your daily habits that's helped you to get to where you are now. Yeah. So I, I am not so much in the daily habit camp. I know that some people are like, oh, it's all, I always meditate. I always have a gratitude journal. You know, I do not, uh, I do not do those things necessarily. I think they're nice, but, um, but it's not necessarily my way of being, but uh, some things that I that I do do every day, not necessarily at a specific time, but that are important to me in general. I am very big on reading, and I try I try to read literally whenever I can. Um, if I if I am eating and I am by myself, I am one hundred percent reading while I do it. I read the newspaper, I read the book that I'm doing. I read every night uh, before I go to bed for probably you know somewhere between fifteen and thirty minutes until I get tired, and uh, you know then turn out the lights. And as a result of this, I actually recently started a time tracking experiment so that I could learn a little bit more about how specifically, you know, just, you know, we all have these kind of illusions in our head about how we're spending our time. And so I wanted to see, you know, okay, what, what am I really doing? What does this look like? And so I've now been time tracking for three weeks, uh, you know, every, every half hour block. So I can get a lot of really good data. I'm planning to do it for another week. So I have a month of data, but I did a preliminary analysis after two weeks. And what I discovered is actually kind of remarkable. I spent about two hours a day reading uh, total. And, um, you know, that it, it just, it adds up, right? You're, you know, I read in the morning while I'm having coffee. I read during the meals at the end of the night. And so 
I am able to consume a really large amount of information. And mm. so when, you know, the, the way that that comes into play is sometimes that is generating new business ideas for me. It's certainly making me a more informed citizen. I think it allows me to do better connecting with people and networking because I have a broader base of information mm -hmm. to uh, to draw from. You know, oh, you're from such and such place. I just read about X Y Z. What do you think about X Y Z? And uh, and so that I think in some ways is kind of my uh, my daily habit, secret weapon that I find both interesting and very relaxing for me. Yeah, I get it. I definitely think it is. I mean, you're reading up to two hours a day, you're probably crushing 98% of the, the American population right there. So what's your favorite uh, website, app or digital resource um, that you would recommend for entrepreneurs struggling to make their first 100k? So a big one that I use literally every day, multiple times a day is, uh, is my calendar app. I think that that is so important. I mean, you know, many people use Calendly. I use one called schedule once they're kind of similar. Um, but I think that this is, this is so important just in terms of cutting out the, the back and forth. There is no reason in the world to do that anymore. And in fact, I actually kind of look askance at people that try to schedule without it because I'm just like, what is this bullshit? You're wasting my time. Like, of course, I'm a busy person. Of course, I can't do Tuesday at 4.30. Why would you think that this one random time you suggest I could do? Like, no, give me 10 options. And I want, you know, I can book it on the calendar. It's just, it's so infinitely much better that if people can't spring for the like 100 or $150 a year for it, I'm just like, come on, get, get to the majors, people. That, you know, I, I am not... Uh, I am not big on spending money needlessly. There's a lot of things that for new entrepreneurs, I discourage them uh, from, from doing. I mean, I hear from people all the time, like, oh, I'm going to retain a PR firm. I'm like, are you nuts? Like PR firms, 99% of the time, a PR firm is going to be a waste of your money. I, I, ha I have probably once in a hundred heard a friend say, oh, I'm so glad I hired this PR firm. They will almost always disappoint you. Um, that is not a good use of your money. Scheduling software is the greatest use of your money. And it's also infinitely cheaper. <laughs> I totally agree with that. I use Calendly for this podcast um, and I use Schedule Once for our co-working space. Um, both are fantastic. Uh, and I'm really glad that I sent you a Calendly invite. Otherwise, you'd be tearing <laughs> my head apart here, Dory. <laughs> Got it. All right. So uh, let's wrap up this section with this question. What is the one thing, Dory, that you want the world to know about being successful in business? I, th I think, uh, Joseph, that the, the one thing about being successful in business, this is something that I feel very passionate about, um, certainly through the process of writing my book, Entrepreneurial You, is the importance of creating multiple income streams. And I think that, that this is useful for new entrepreneurs to think about as well. It's not that you should start out and create 10 income streams right away. That's certainly not what I'm advising. I, I don't want people to, to you know, go in too many directions. But if you can think about creating a strategic rollout plan for yourself, you know, like year one, I'm going to do this. Year two, I'll add this other thing. Year three, I'll add this other thing. It's a good way to pace yourself, honestly, and to begin to think about ways that you can create a flywheel of business. So for instance, in my own life, I, I'm actually up to nine income streams now, and they all feed into each other. They all help each other. So for instance, 
if somebody buys my book, Entrepreneurial You, you know, that's one source of income. I mean, you know, it's a book, so it's not a lot, right? But nonetheless, it becomes a crucial piece of the puzzle because somebody might read the book and say, oh, this is great. I want to hire Dory for executive coaching. And so they, they sign up for that. Fantastic. They start doing executive coaching with me. They say, oh, this is wonderful. I think that I want to uh, connect with other people who have a similar mindset, maybe they sign up for one of the mastermind groups that I do. And so, you know, it, it creates uh, a, a, an internal source for more business development. And, it, you know, it's, it's a way of better meeting these people's needs. And so if you can roll out different programs like that strategically over time, it becomes very helpful. I like that. So you're describing like a circle of revenue. Right. It just and they all feed into each other. That's fantastic. So, ladies and gentlemen, Startup Nation, we are speaking with Dory Clark. You can visit her at DoryClark.com. That's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com. Go pick up her book, Entrepreneurial You. You can find that at Amazon or any major retailer and get her free assessment, right? That entrepreneurial self-assessment, the 88 questions to help you. Build your business and make your first 100K. It's right there waiting for you. Dory, we're about to enter my favorite part of this conversation, the hustle round. I'm going to ask you 12 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. Just say the first thing that comes to you. Are you ready? Oh my gosh, yes. Here we go. Dory, what's your favorite sound? Cats purring. <laughs> what's your least favorite sound? Construction. Got it. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a spy. Whoa. What are you most afraid of? Snakes. Got it. What did you spend way too much time doing your first year in business? I spent too much time my first year in business going to random networking meetings. Mm. Oh, we've all suffered those. What secret fear do you have about people? I am afraid. Oh, that's, that's tough. I, uh, my secret fear about uh, people is oh my god i don't like in relation to in relationship to you like yeah how perceive you or anything like that what's your secret fear about people we all have one yeah geez okay my secret fear about people i'm taking way longer than three seconds this is mm -hmm. terrible sorry joseph okay that that uh probably that uh it would be that um uh, th th there's, th there's not, there's not somebody that's really, uh, I'm single. So probably it's that there's not really somebody that's legitimately romantically compatible for me. Got it. So there's no soulmate out there. Yeah, exactly. Person. Got it. That's real. Okay. What do you wish you had learned sooner in your business? The, that, it, that you don't have to pretend to be bigger than you are. My mm -hmm. first website had like pictures of skyscrapers on it. Like it's like, oh, you know, and it's like, you know, you're a one person business. It's like, you Working know, out of your come on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What is a new habit you want to form? I would like to exercise every day. Got it. And what's a bad habit you want to break? I, 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 I always crack my knuckles when I'm feeling under pressure and I, I think I should stop. <laughs> Got it. Pick three words to describe who you are now. Friendly, uh, intelligent, and helpful. I, I get that about you. Awesome. And pick three words to describe who you were your first year in business. My first year in business, I was, um, scattered, uh, 
enthusiastic and um, unsure of myself. Mm, I think you just sized up almost all of us. Fantastic. Imagine sometime in the distant future, Dory, and there you are standing in front of your tombstone. Read to us what it says on it. Author, thinker, helpful person. Got it. Bam. <laughs> Sounds like an email signature, right? <laughs> and last question, Dory. If you could come back to life after you died and tell your family and friends only one piece of advice, what would you say to them? Maximize the, your personal relationships and the autonomy that you have in your life. Got it. Fantastic. And Dory, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Best way is through my website, doryclark.com. Lots of free articles and, uh, and folks can contact me there. Fantastic. Dory, thanks for joining us today and we wish you peace, love, and superpowers. Thanks, Joseph. Take care. All right. You too. Startup Nation, head over to first100k.com for even more tools, tactics, and tricks that you can use to go from A to 100K and make your first $100,000. I'm Joseph Warren, and you were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day, and I'll catch you on the next show. Peace.